0: morning church good morning my name is Kendrick I'm the pastor here at Calvary Church it is great to have you with us this morning as we are going to continue our walk through the gospel of John Um, today we're actually going to find ourselves in the final words of Jesus's final address or his farewell address uh, to his disciples it's in chapter 16 of John you can go ahead and turn there or click there now in your Bibles uh, this passage is tucked between two more well-known parts of Scripture, the abide in me, I am the true vine, you're the branches, we're familiar with that Scripture, and then Jesus' high priestly prayer, which is found in 17. So we see this passage, that is this tucked away, but this is a gold nugget. This is something you need to get your Bibles and highlight this passage if you are a disciple. If you're somebody on mission with God, and once we go through this today, I'm confident that as you're going through mission, you're going to come back to this passage to be uh, encouraged as you continue on in mission with Jesus. In the passage that we looked at last week, um, Jesus taught the disciples that the Spirit was going to come and it was going to testify about the Father. But in bearing fruit... Jesus also reminded the disciples that they too were going to testify to the Father, that they were going to be witnesses to the glory of God. They were going to be sent out to the nations as messengers to tell the people about the gospel, to tell people about the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And you can imagine the fear that is overtaking the disciples as they are receiving their mission to go out and spread Jesus to the world. And Let me remind you that this world is about to crucify Jesus, right? This is a hostile world, and he's telling them to go out and to be my witnesses. Tell them about the very things that they're about to crucify me for. And you can imagine that fear. We actually probably don't have to go far to understand that fear. Because I am sure that many of us face similar fears, face similar uh, nervousness. When we are to be a witness to the gospel of Jesus in our own communities today. Right? There's not often times that we go out and say, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. And people are like, yes! You know, let me invite you to dinner. Let me, tell me all about Jesus. Right, those are times we celebrate. Actually, that is so rare. Let me just tell you one time. Um, I was a chaplain for a law enforcement agency down south. And I got into the car and the guy said, hey, you seem like a reasonable person. Can you Tell me about the gospel. And I said, what? Like, what? I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. But for 10 hours, we got to talk about the gospel. Right? If you get nervous or if you get scared about being a witness for Jesus, no, you're not alone. right? The disciples were, and Jesus spent his final time with his disciples trying to settle their hearts. Right, that is the theme throughout the whole farewell discourse, that Jesus is trying to settle the hearts of his disciples disciples and this morning we're going to look at Jesus's final words of his final words his final words of encouragement and truth to help his disciples as they're about to begin the mission that he is giving them and I find these words just as encouraging and needed for us today as they were for his disciples 2,000 years ago right because we have a mission do you guys know that we have a mission we call it the great commission it's Really, really important. We don't like people writing on our walls, but we've actually wrote the Great Commission on the wall. When you come into this building, right? The Great Commission: Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Right? If you ever question what your mission is, we are to glorify God by making disciples. There you go. We are to glorify God by. Making disciples. And I pray that as we walk through this passage, your heart will become settled. And you will not only know that you are empowered by God. But that you are encouraged as you continue on your mission to make disciples. As you continue on your mission to glorify God. All right, we're going to get started today in chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 4. And I'm going to read for you. It says, beginning of verse 4, Jesus speaking. But I have said these things to you. That when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to, uh, to Him who sent me, and none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Just in this opening, we know that things are getting bad for the disciples. Right? We know that as we started this teaching, as we started this farewell discourse, the very first question that actually led into this discourse was Peter. And do you remember what his question was? Where are you going? Right? He says, where are you going? And Jesus just said, none of you have asked, where am I going? But here's what's happening. At the beginning of this, the, Jesus, the, the disciples were like, okay, things are about to go south. Jesus is leaving. We want to go with him. Right, and so they are really, it's a selfish question. They're not thinking about the bigger picture. They're thinking, things are going south. I'm out. Jesus, you're leaving. Tell us where to go. And they're asking questions about Jesus. And as Jesus continues in this teaching, as he continues with this farewell discourse, and they see that, well, Jesus is going to die, and we're going to be left behind to carry out this mission, they start to go internal. Right, they start to just think about themselves. They start to have heavy hearts they stop asking questions they stop complaining right they stop whining all the debates stop and now they're just thinking about themselves and if you guys are a parent you know right you know things are bad when the complaining stops right whenever your kids are complaining you spend all this time saying please stop please stop please stop and what happens the minute they stop complaining you go find them and say, What's wrong? Is, it, is everything okay? Right? And I see Isaac laughing because he hates that. <laughs> I'm just doing what you told me. We're like, Isaac, what's, what's wrong with you? And at this point, the disciples, they've stopped complaining. Right? Their, their hearts are heavy. They're looking at this impossible mission that Jesus has given them. And they're like, I don't know if I'm up for this task. Not to mention, you're leaving us, Jesus, you're gone. You know, it's, it's one thing when you're just following Jesus around and you're pointing out his miracles and people ask you a question and you say, "Oh, well, look at him. It's another thing when Jesus does these fabulous teachings and they get ask you a question, you say, yeah, whatever he said, right? But it's a totally different thing when the world is watching you and they want to, they're listening to every word you say, they're listening to everything you do. And they're expecting to see the glory of Jesus in your words and deeds. Now it's a different ballgame. It's a completely different ball game. And knowing that their hearts are troubled, Jesus shares with them the, the advantages that they will gain when he goes away. Right? He's convincing them, hey, this is better for you. When I leave, things will be better for you. And he continues this teaching on, in uh, verse 7. And Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify you, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And we see just in this part of the passage that Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he reminds them that he is sending divine reinforcements. Right, he is acknowledging that what they're doing is a big task, but he's also saying, hey, don't worry about it. I'm going to send somebody to you. I'm going to send you the helper. I'm going to send you the spirit of God. And in this short passage, we see that the spirit of God will be sent from the throne of God to empower the people of God to witness about the son of God. Right. The spirit of God will be sent from the throne of God to empower the people of God to witness about the son of God. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a helper. I'm giving you the spirit. And here in this passage, Jesus tells them how the Holy Spirit will help the disciples fulfill the task. Right, when Jesus goes to the Father, the Holy Spirit will come and work in and through the disciples for his glory. Right, when Jesus goes to the Father, the Holy Spirit will come and work in and through us. Right, in and through the disciples for the glory of the Father. And Jesus tells them this. That the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit will convict. He will convict the world of one particular sin. The sin of unbelief. That's where this starts. The Holy Spirit's work in the life of a non-Christian is to bring them to the realization of the guilt and the shame and the weaknesses in their life that are caused by the sin in their life in order that they would repent. In order that they would repent and that they would find life in Jesus Christ. And not just life, but we're promised eternal life in Christ. The Holy Spirit this Spirit, does this through the church. I want you to look at Acts chapter 2. At the beginning of chapter 2, we see it's the day of Pentecost it's when the Holy Spirit comes And it fills the apostles and they began to Proclaim the gospel And those that heard The gospel they were amazed and they were Perplexed Right one That they were able to hear it in their own language Which is pretty darn amazing Right and two at the teaching Of the teaching that the Disciples were doing about Jesus Christ and Peter filled with The Spirit he addresses all who who were in Jerusalem all the men, he said, all the men, all the, those of you who dwell in Jerusalem, listen to my words. And then what did he do? He preached an awesome sermon, I guess. Right? He went on, he preached about the gospel. He was, bore witness to Jesus Christ and the scripture tells us on that day 3,000 people came to know Jesus as their Savior. 3,000 people. And the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit will work through His people in the words that He gives them. John Calvin wrote this in his commentary on this passage. He said, How can someone's voice penetrate minds, take root there, and eventually produce fruit, making hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, and renewing the people themselves, unless the Spirit of Christ makes the Word alive? So the Spirit of Christ will, or the Holy Spirit will, will, work through the words that he gives us right he will give people a realization of their position regarding their sin and final judgment and scripture tells us some will respond and turn to jesus and others will remain in the world some will respond to the words that the holy spirit uh, makes alive and they will respond others will not right but guys we are to just speak the truth that's all we are to do. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. But I want you to notice as we continue in Acts chapter 2, we see these people that are filled by the Holy Spirit living in community with one another. They're worshiping together, they're eating together, they're spending time in one another's homes. Scripture says they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As we look at this, we see that being filled with the Holy Spirit, their lives and their community with each other was different than the world. And not, not just coming to church on Sunday mornings, but in everything that they did, they glorified God. Right? When they worked together as a church, they glorify God. When they worship, they glorify God. Their lives were one of thanksgiving, giving glory to God. And the world paid attention, and it says people came to know Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't just empower our words when we speak. He reveals Christ in our lives as other people watch us. The world cannot receive, the world cannot see the Spirit of God, but the world can see what He does as they watch the lives of dedicated believers. As they watch the lives of those who are saying, I didn't just say profess to be a Christian. Dedicated believers, people that acknowledge Jesus, acknowledge the Holy Bible, acknowledge God as their ultimate authority. And when the church does that, we glorify God and people come to know Jesus. We do not study the word of God in order to argue our religion with people or to show off our grasp of spiritual things or to show off paperwork we can hang on our wall. We study the word of Jesus Christ for one reason, to know God better. That's why we study the world of God, so we can know God better. Some of us need accountability in doing that. Right, long before I thought of going into the ministry, I wanted to know the word better, so I enrolled in seminary, because when you pay a lot of money, that's a way to hold you accountable. Right, and I wanted to know the word of God more. But when we know God better, when we know His truth, we're able to glorify Him in our lives. The Holy Spirit works in His people through His Word. Right? This Word is His means of conveying the Gospel and bringing conviction of sin when we study the Scriptures. And it comes alive in our own hearts. The Holy Spirit guides us into this truth as we listen to His truths As He speaks the words that we are reading. We should never, never look for spiritual truths apart from God's Word. Right? Never. We receive personal guidance from the Holy Spirit as we read the words that he wrote. Right? And as we study that time, as we read Scripture and say, this is our authority. Right? This passage, right? and this is argued, and people debate this. this, this passage is not saying that there's more truth for the Spirit to reveal about Jesus. That's not what it says. What this passage is telling us is that the Spirit leads us into all the truths about Jesus that are found in Scripture. There is not one person in this room that can say, I understand every truth about Jesus found in the Scripture. There is not one of you, and it is the Holy Spirit that works in our lives that reveals those truths to us. Right? It is the ministry of the Spirit to enrich us with the treasure of God's truth that is found in His Word. That's the, the, the Holy Spirit working us as He teaches us the truths that we need to know when we need to know them and when we are ready to receive them. When we are ready to receive them, it is so awesome, right, when you're studying Scripture and God reveals another truth to you. I can't tell you how many times it's happened in my own life. I can't tell you how many times it's happened with so many people that I have discipled that they are reading the Word and they said, I've read the Bible for the last 10 years, and this is the first time this truth was revealed to me. And that's the Spirit of God working in our lives. And He teaches us those truths. Right, the, the Holy Spirit, he is the truth continuity between us and Jesus and God. Right, everything that he teaches us points to Jesus who glorifies the Father. These three are always aligned. Right, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, Jesus is the, God's word manifested. All of these things are always aligned. They don't disagree with each other. They don't complement each other. They are strictly truth. All of them together aligned. Jesus is truth. The word of God is truth. And the Holy Spirit is truth. It's essential that the leading of the Holy Spirit is never ever divorced from the Word of God or the works and teachings of Jesus Christ. People who claim that the Spirit of God is leading them to do things that are contrary to the Word of God or that are contrary to the life and teachings of Jesus, they're mistaken. They're they're being led by something other than the one true God. Jesus, God, is not schizophrenic. He doesn't have multiple personalities. He is the ultimate truth, and what he teaches is the same. In church, the the Holy Spirit's work in leading us in truth is precisely in order so that we can testify to the works and words of Jesus Christ to glorify the Father. That is the truth that he teaches and works in our lives. It is our job to witness. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is our job to witness. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. One of the best books I've ever read about evangelism said sharing Jesus without fear. You know what the premise of that book is? Stop worrying about it. You share the gospel. Let Jesus take care of the rest. Right? Let the Holy Spirit do his work. The role of the disciples is to faithfully bear witness to the truth, Jesus, and the role of the Holy Spirit is to make that witness spiritually effective. The Spirit convicts the world by empowering the disciples to bear witness about Jesus. We are to testify the Holy Spirit is to convict. And when Jesus went to the Father, the Holy Spirit came to work in and through His disciples, Right? In us as we read the word and through us as we proclaim and teach the word. And that was one of the advantages of Jesus leaving. In the following passage, Jesus gives them the second advantage of his leaving. If We begin in verse 16. Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while you will see me again. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is it that he has Said to us, A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. I think this is important when we're reading this is that Jesus acknowledges their sorrow. Right, he acknowledges the grief that they are feeling, and as a matter of fact, he actually says, it's going to get worse. Right, this is not going to get better. It's going to get worse, but that sorrow will be transformed into everlasting joy when they see him. And when they realize what his departure achieved. Right, when you, you experience that joy, when you know what this happens, then you'll have everlasting joy, and this suffering will only be a distant memory. The disciples still don't know. You know, they've called him Messiah, they've called him Christ, but they still are trying to put the pieces together on what it means to have their sins paid for. Right, to experience the freedom of being in right relationship with God. But we see this, that after the baby is born, it's not that the pain of pregnancy is gone, and Jesus is reminding them that. And you can ask any mother, they will still cringe when you talk about The birth of a baby, when you talk about going through pregnancy, but it no longer matters as they either hold their baby or as they talk about the times that they've spent with their child. I can still remember driving Melissa to the hospital as she was having um, contractions, and the pain was so excruciating that this sweet little Melissa is yelling at me to run red lights. Just run them! And her lights are just as red as the street signs that I'm running. And I'm trying to get there as fast as I can. And then about two seconds after I run it, she's like, what are you doing? Don't do that. Right? This is, this is a woman who still does not feel comfortable walking in the exit of like Lowe's. Right? She's like, hey, you got to go in the entrance. You can't go out there. She is a rule follower, but she was in so much pain. And she just wanted to get to the, the hospital. It's the worst pain that she's ever, ever been in. And I can promise you, without a doubt, she would go through it again for another kid. We have multiple kids. She has done it, and the pain was worth it. And Jesus is telling them, hey, I know your sorrow is real, but just trust me. This will be a distant memory the moment that Jesus appears to them again. He will be victorious. And they realize, when they realize that their sins have been paid for, when they realize that they will spend eternity with Jesus. And these couple years are going to be nothing but a mist. It's going to be a distant pass. As they are singing holy, holy, holy with the choirs in heaven. Worshipping Jesus for all of eternity. And Jesus continues in verse 23. He says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly I say to you. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name. He will give it to you. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each of you to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And we see in this passage that when Jesus goes to the Father, we will have everlasting joy in our restored relationship with the Father. When Jesus goes to the cross and restores our relationship, we will find joy in that relationship. Sin is the root of our unhappiness. Right, we look around and we can tell that something is broken. And if we're honest with each other, we know that that brokenness comes from our broken relationship with God. We know that the lack of joy in our lives can be traced straight back to our broken relationship with God. And the only way to have joy in our lives is to have our relationship with God restored. Sin destroyed our relationship with God, but Jesus came and took away the sin of the world. The sin-bearing sacrifice of Jesus Open the way to God. Jesus on the cross paid the debt. It is finished so that we had a way to God. And because Jesus took our sins and went to the cross, we are now reconciled. I know people hate when I use big church words. Okay, we are made right with God. Right? Our debt has been paid. Our guilt has been thrown away. Our shame is done. And our relationship with God is made whole. It is made back. And when we Read this. This passage reminds me that God the Father, right, sometimes we think it's only Jesus, but here is God the Father loves us. Right? The Father does not need prompting or convincing from the Son to love us. It was the Father's love for us that sent His Son to die on the cross. Remember in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love for you led him to send his son for you so that we could have a restored and a right relationship back with the father. If we remember eternal life, just a few months ago we were talking about the eternal life. It's not just a quantity, but it's a quality of life. And here this restored relationship promises us a life filled with joy for eternity that flows from our restored relationship with God. God, and this is a guarantee for everyone who follows Jesus, this is promise, everyone who believes that Jesus is indeed the promised Savior, God's own Son, has access, will experience everlasting joy for all of eternity, and I want you to listen, Jesus is the only way to the Father, right, we know that is true, we know that no one gets to the Father except through Jesus, we know that Jesus is our intercessor, right, that He advocates for us, that He helps restore our relationship back To God when we sin those are true statements, but we often think that Jesus's role is to restrict us from the father Right, we see Jesus as this guy that we like Maybe we send him some prayers and then he goes into this dark shady room and he tells God what we meant to say Right or what we should have said and then he comes back out and says, okay, you're good That's not what happens. Jesus actually did quite the opposite Right while Jesus was on earth. He met all the needs of his disciples and for their mission He was their direct connection to the Father. And after the ascension, the first disciples, they could no longer run to Jesus. They could no longer physically ask him to meet their needs. And Jesus is telling them, hey, guess what? Now with your relationship restored with the Father, Jesus promises his his disciples that they have the privilege of going directly to the Father and asking him to do whatever they need to accomplish the mission that he's been given them. You don't have to go, you can go straight to the Father. Ask him in my name, he'll give you whatever you need. This is the most wonderful part of this promise, that if we ask in Jesus' name, the Father will answer. The Father will answer the prayer. But church, here's what we need to to know, is that when we ask in Jesus' name, we are aligning our prayers with his mission. We're not asking him to do things for us. right? We're aligning them with his mission, we're asking not my will be done, but your will be done. By asking in Jesus' name, we're saying, God, our, our prayers are in line with Scripture. Our prayers are in line with the Word. And if they are not, either forget them or make them in line with Jesus' Word. Right? When we say in Jesus' name, that's just not something that we tag on to the end of the prayer. It is our request to make sure that what we are saying What we are praying for, where our hearts are set, are on His will, not our will. Scripture promises us that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart. Scripture promises us that if God is our ultimate desire, if that is what we are pursuing more than anything, Scripture promises you will get it. When we are on mission with God, our hearts yearn for the things of God. And when our prayers are aligned with God's, we find joy. Right, you've been there when you've prayed and you said, God, I need this to witness this person. I need the courage. I need this event to happen. I need this situation that only God could work out to happen. And lo and behold, guess what happens? And you get the opportunity to share the glory with God. And you have true joy in your heart. Joy comes as we ask God to help us fulfill the mission that he gave us. And prayer gives us the power to do what we're called to do. We are called to live holy lives. To be generous, to be bold, to be thankful, to be repentant, to have contrite hearts and broken hearts. We are called to be selfless. And unfortunately, this only happens when we beg God to work in our lives. Those things don't happen by accident. We don't get to that place on our own. Those things only happen when God is working in our lives. Sometimes we think we have to plead with God to convince him to answer our prayers like he is some investor and we have to try to prove to him that it would be worth it to him if he answered our prayers if he did what we wanted it would be worth his wild and we beg and beg for our own needs hoping that god will change his mind but here's the truth god is not reluctant in any way to answer any prayer that accomplishes his mission Right, when you pray to be bold in your witness, when you pray to be generous in your giving, when you pray to be grateful for His grace and repentant of your sins and selfish in your actions so that others may know the glory of God, it is a promise in Scripture that we will experience the willingness of God to answer our prayers. Right, our heart should be set to seek the things of God and our prayers should reflect that desire. And when they do, watch out right when our hearts are aligned with God and we're begging in our prayers for his will to be done over our will and our hearts are aligned with him watch as the floodgates open as God answers your prayers i think it was martin luther who said this he said prayer is not overcoming god's reluctance but laying hold of his willingness right prayer is not overcoming god's reluctance we're not trying to change his mind we're not trying to convince him that it's good But it's laying hold of his willingness. It's finding those things in his heart that we can uh, align with and watch him answer those prayers. That's what our prayers should be about. And Jesus going to the Father restored our relationship with the Father. And our hearts are filled with joy as we now can join the Father on his mission in perfect relationship with the Father that he hears our prayers. When we are praying in Jesus' name and we are praying for his will, we know that. That the Father hears our prayers. And then we come to the very end. The very last verse of this teaching. Verse 33. And Jesus says this. I have said these things to you. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And again at the end. We're back at the beginning. We're at the whole reason that Jesus gave this message. That Jesus gave this Teaching, and this is the longest recorded teaching of Jesus in all of the scriptures. And right here, he sums it up. Why? What did he say? And it said the disciples' hearts would be settled, that they might have peace in this world of tribulation. Right, the world's going to continue its tax, it's going to continue saying these things, it's going to continue not to like you, but those who are in Christ find peace in the victory that he has already won. But take heart, I have overcome the world. By facing the cross and going to the Father, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and given access to the Father so that we might share in His victory over the world. Church, this is something we miss all the time. Sometimes we talk about His victory, we talk about His joy, we talk about His peace, and we say, oh, one day when He wins, I will experience those things. That's not scripture. Church, it's not when he is victorious. He is victorious now. He has already won joy and peace and love and all of those things we can experience because of his victory. Not his victory to come. Not that We're not going to sit here and, you know, like Dallas Cowboy fans and say, this year it's going to be the year. This year. No. It's done. We're Rams fans. We say they already won. Yeah. I'm a Rams fan for one year. Niners are coming back, right? But he's already won. We can experience that joy. We can experience that victory today, right now, right at this moment. Right? We must claim our spiritual position in Christ and believe in him. Believe in him so that we can experience the fruits of his victory. So that we can have peace in this world of tribulation. Everlasting joy and peace. We can have this peace that surpasses all understanding. These are not promises for the future. Church, hear this. These are not promises for the future. But these are gifts. These are the goods, the spoils of his victory that he has already won and they are available to you now to all who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You can experience those things now. And I know in A room this size with this this many people. I know people online, there are many of you that have never given your life to Christ. There are many of you that may be struggling, saying, I don't know if I've experienced the peace. I don't know if I've experienced the joy that you're talking about. First question I would ask is, have you recognized Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Right, there's there's two things there. One, there's his Savior. Because most people say, oh, yeah, I know I'm messed up. I know I need a Savior. I know I, I needed that sacrifice. And then it's like, well, do you recognize him as your Lord? Do you recognize that his word, right, that the Holy Spirit in your life, that's authority over yourself? Have you submitted to Jesus as your Savior? There's not a magic prayer. right? There's not a magic dance. There's not a special person you have to talk to. All you have to do is go to the Father, repent of your sins, acknowledge him as your Savior, acknowledge him as your Lord, and follow Jesus and if you've never done that you're like I'm not sure how to do that you can come see me I'll be standing over here or back there after the service I'd love to pray with you if you don't want to talk to me you can send sit on a card and say hey I'm not sure what to do if you know what to do you're like hey I get it God's speaking in my heart I know everything to do just let us know we want to celebrate with you that's one of the things as a church and as a community that we get to celebrate that's where we find joy is when others have come to put their faith in Christ and we would love to celebrate with you Dear Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for y- your son. Lord, we thank you that he went to you and he sent the spirit to live in our lives at this moment, right now, and works through us to show the world your glory. We are so grateful for that, Lord. And Lord, we are, we are grateful that we can have a restored relationship with the Father. That we can go to the Father and we can, yes, we can pray for your mission to be done on here on earth, but we can also go to the Father and ask for forgiveness, for comfort. For hope. Lord, we are so grateful that you loved us, that you loved us enough to send your son to die for us so that we could be in a right relationship with you. Lord, we just pray that as we go out these doors, we would not look back at the church and say, I'll see you next Sunday, but we would go out into this world and we would be the church and we would proclaim your glory to our community. Lord, give us the boldness to speak truth, Lord, and give us the, the confidence and give us the humility to submit to you and follow you in all of our ways. Lord, we love you and we thank you and all of God's people said, amen.